this is the bail list. The second question after saying, how's my camera, was have I shit myself? <laughs> and JJ, being the good friend that he is, just he just pulled my ducks up, had a look at my butt and he's like, nah, you're good. The bail list is supported by Wild Earth, our exclusive outdoor gear provider. I'm Nicole Brooks. This episode is about Nathan McNeil, a climber, adventurer and photographer. If you're on Instagram, you might know him as Set in Stone Photography. He was taking photos of the development of SpotX, a crag at Urbanville in northern New South Wales, when one small mistake set off a chain of disastrous events. Check it out. Hi, I'm Nathan McNeil. I am a self-proclaimed adventure photographer or wannabe adventure photographer. Uh, I've been climbing for about eight years now, I think, and I've been taking photos under the illusion of set-in-stone photography for about four or five years of that. Rock climbing is the reason why I got into photography, so I love shooting rock climbing. I love hanging on the rope, even to the demise of my hips. Um, I've taken a lot of a lot of photos of mates climbing over the years, sort of all over Australia. I've done a few little um, campaigns for like Wild Magazine about the climbing trip in Northern Territory and then uh, a trip down to Kapitar for Osprey. I work with a lot of the outdoor brands. Um, I shoot a lot of events traveling Australia as well. Um, just recently finished a, a documentary about um, a, my friend's journey into the Tasmanian wilderness to find his uh, great uncle's burial and then we proceeded to climb Federation Peak in his honour at the end of that. Um, so yeah, anywhere in the outdoors you'll find me with a camera in hand. <laughs> hey Nathan, thanks for having a chat with me. G'day, no worries. This is a bit of a quick turnaround. We only just spoke on the phone uh, about this incident yesterday and now we're recording. Yep. But the reason <laughs> I wanted to do it is because two things. Firstly, you know, when we were talking on the phone I laughed out loud a few times. It's a good story. But also because... It's uh, an incident, it's a situation that is pretty common amongst climbers and has taken quite a few lives, mm. a similar situation to what you experienced, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think it's important to, to talk about it. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely one of those uh, climbing 101 things that can easily get overlooked or that people just decide they don't want to do it because of the hassles that it can create further down the track, but that sort of rule of thumb is in place for a reason and it's pretty much to stop you from wrapping off the end of your rope. <laughs> yeah, so um, tell me a little bit about the day when this happened. Um, so we were at Spot X in Urbanville um, and it was it was probably four or five years ago now, I can't remember. Um, but it was during the development stage of that crag. Um, so I was there in good company, had some very, very experienced people um, that were sort of like mentoring us at the time. Just and tell me first of all, before we go on, who you were up there with. Uh, so there was a bit of a crew of us actually. Um, we had JJ O'Brien, he was there. Um, Lee and Sam Kujes, um, Nick Foster, Reese Brandon, Tom Reed, um, Steve Cooper, and that, oh, and Duncan Steele, and I think that was it. 
So you were in the company of some very experienced yes. climbers. Yes, exactly. Thankfully, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, <laughs> I always say, every time I go to put my first aid kit in my pack these days when I go to climb, that was the first day I had, didn't take a first aid kit. So now every time I go to pack my back climbing, I look at my first aid kit and think about the weight. I'm like, nah, just put it in. <laughs> it's always the weight. Yeah. You don't have it when you need it. Murphy's Law. Not yeah. that it would have helped me, but... <laughs> and um, the crag was very near opening to the public. So we had a few extra people there that were coming just to climb some routes and, you know, pull off any loose rocks and do the usual crag development stuff. Um, and Lee Kujes had just done the first ascent of a, a new route that morning. And I said I'd get a, a photo of someone climbing it for the guide. Um, and JJ was pretty quick to stick his hand up as he, he loves, loves a good photo of him climbing. And he's always wearing photo approved coloured clothing. <laughs> um, so yeah, later in the day, um, I jugged Lee's bolting rope, which was already fixed in place. Um, I, I still don't know to this day why, but he had the bolting rope, he had a knot tied in the middle of the rope and clipped the anchors. So there was two 30 metre strands coming down. Um, now, in order to jug that rope, I just, tied one of the strands to a, to a tree at the bottom and then just jugged the other side with my ascender. Um, and then, yeah, JJ's climbed, took a couple of photos. I was just in my normal sport climbing harness, so I didn't want to be out there for too long. And I, st I still remember Sam Kujes, um, Lee's partner, saying, oh, just be careful when you're coming down. We don't want any accidents. Like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And Lee, when he came back, he said, um, when you're done, bring the, like, abseil down or rappel down or whatever. Um, in a fashion where the rope can be pulled down. So, I mean, don't leave the knot in the anchors pretty much. I was can like, you just explain what that rope setup looked like? Yeah, so he had an a alpine butterfly in the dead centre of the rope clip, clipped to both anchors. I think there was two um, locking carabiners on the anchors and he just had the alpine butterfly or a figure eight, I can't remember which knot it is now, um, just clipped to those, those anchors in the middle. Um, is that a common way of, of setting up a fixed rope for bolting? Uh, usually your bolting, your line will be tied from one end on the anchors and your whole rope will be at the bottom. Um, I, I don't know why he had two strands. He would have had a reason to do it because Lee knows what he's doing. Um, so normally if I was bolting a route, I would either, you either find your way to the top and abseil down off some trees or whatever until you can get an anchor in and then you can um, retie off your anchor and rebelay yourself. Um, yeah, or you're aid bolting and you're going ground up anyway. So. Um, yeah, he obviously had a reason for, for tying that rope like that. And because the rope was already up, I saw an opportunity to not have to do the extra mile of getting my own rope up. So I just figured I'd jug on his. And it was a static line. It had been up there for weeks because he was bolting the route. And so maybe a bit of rain, a bit of sun, a bit of rain, a bit of sun. The rope was, uh, yeah, the, the knot was pretty seized up there. <laughs> Which route were you on? Oh, I don't even remember. It wasn't even a memorable route. <laughs> it was just, it was like an extra piece of rock there and Lee put a line up on it. It wasn't even very good to photograph and uh, by the looks of it, it wasn't even that great at climbing. <laughs> it was just a new route and I wanted a photo of it. Can you explain the terrain of Spot X for people who haven't been there? Yeah, so if you've ever driven into Urbanville, you see the crown. It's just this huge grey slab. Um, now, Spot X is on the back side, on the western side of that slab. And it's like, it's like the Billabong logo or the Rip Curl logo. It's like the crown is the, the slab side of the wave and Spot X is the barrel. Like it is steep terrain out there. But it's really cool. It wasn't bolted for years because it was considered too hard back in the days. It was explored but never bolted because of the, the technical side that was necessary to get anchors in in that sort of terrain. 
Um, and then, yeah, I think Lee went back for like 10 years after it was first explored and went, yeah, we can do this. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's pretty chossy out there, but every new crag's chossy until it's had a bit of um, traffic and you pull a bit of loose rock off. So it's still to this day one of my favourite crags. Like, I used to love climbing out there. Every weekend, we'd be out there every weekend. We'd drive two and a half hours from the Gold Coast, sleep in the campsite in Urbanville, go to the pub for dinner and just march straight up to the crag Saturday morning and not home until late Sunday night. And just explain uh, what the terrain is like surrounding the crag as well. Yeah, so it's a bit of an approach. You've got to park it like a water treatment facility um, not far out of town, and it's a fair way from the cliff. It's about 45 minutes, and you're mostly uphill the whole way. Um, the whole first half of the hike is on pretty open fields, but you're just sort of meandering diagonally and up the fields, and you go across a fence and whatnot until you get to the fire trail. And just a note for people wanting to climb there, uh, I believe it's still sort of best practice to call the farmer and notify them? Correct, yeah. It always has been the way and it still says it on the crag and it always will be the way until like, unless something changes. But yeah, it is it is mandatory for people to call ahead and make sure... Because you're walking across someone's property, That's aren't right, you? yeah. yeah. And they, they are like they are very aware of what goes on their, their property. So if they see you and they don't know you're there, expect to be questioned. Sure. Uh, yeah, so just talk me through that approach. Uh, yeah, so you meander up the hills, um, you go down through a little, little gully... I imagine when there's plenty of rainfall, it's pretty wet through there. And then up and over the fence, which has got a dead log running through it. Um, and then you find the fire trail. And then from the fire trail, you pretty quickly um, split off onto what we call the cow tracks. It's like little little footpaths made by cows usually. Um, and we follow that up through into the bushes, just gets gradually steeper and steeper until you sort of reach the cliff face. And then you turn right and follow the cliff face pretty much all the way up to the crag. And then it just opens up into this big like amphitheatre of just steep sport climbing. It's very cool. Yeah. And um, at the bottom of the rock, because it's quite chossy, there is a bit of loose rock and some boulders all around the place, aren't yeah. there? Yeah, there sure is. There's lots of shale from what's fallen off um, or what's been cleaned in order to bolt the roots. Um, and just, yeah, rocks might fall off from the, the overhead walls and, and hit the lower walls. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty... We've never really had any, any incidences with choss being a factor. Um, it's just new crag. You've got to deal with it. <laughs> Explain to me what happened when you ascended the rope. You were taking some photos of JJ. What happened next? Uh, yeah, so pretty much I found the position that was like the nicest to photograph. So we did that move a couple of times after he initially climbed the route. Um, and I got him, yeah, just got him to repeat it for a couple of times, make sure I got the right shot. And then, yeah, I was like, okay, my legs are pretty dead now. <laughs> I'm ready to be back on the ground and, and get some blood back into them. And so he, he lowered um, and I proceeded to go up. To the anchor so because I was a little bit lower than it where I wanted to take the shot so I jumped right up to the anchor and, and clipped in hard to the anchors themselves clipped my personal um, what do you call it paz on a personal anchor whatever uh, clipped that into the anchor so I could just take my weight off the rope um, and now with that alpine butterfly which I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what he had which I historically are pretty easy to undo but <laughs> this one did not want to come undone um, so yeah I went in hard on the anchor um, took the alpine butterfly off the anchor and proceeded to start trying to undo it. And I tried for a while and just couldn't get it done. Um, and then with the la loss of blood in my legs, I was a bit like, okay, I just need to find another solution to get down instead of undoing this thing and passing the whole rope through. So um, I yelled out to JJ, who was now on the ground, um, can you 
untie that end off the tree for me because I'd tied it off because I didn't know what was going on. So this was the other end. So you jugged up one yeah, side jugged up one. and the other end was attached to a tree. Yeah, because when I was on the ground, I didn't know what Lee had up there. So I was like, well, it's obviously going through the anchor somehow. So I'll just tie this off to the tree just in case the knot he's got up there is crap or it's temporary or whatever. Um, so yeah, I just said, just untie that off the tree and I'll, I'll figure something out. And I didn't ask him to to tie a, a stopper knot in that end, nor did I have one in the end that I just jugged because they're both on the ground. Um, and yeah, so I proceeded to undo the uh, alpine butterfly. I'll try to undo it, but considering the fact that the rope had been up there for a few weeks in the rain and the sun, it had swollen and, and this knot had become fully seized. Um, and I'd done, I'd done it before where I would pass the end of the rope through the anchor um, and tie it to myself and put my grigri on the other strand um, in certain situations and then proceeded to lower myself um, and that that option came into my mind where I just took the alpine butterfly off the anchor and then clipped one of the strands into the anchor and then clipped the alpine butterfly to my belay loop um, now this would have been fine had the knot been in the very end of the rope and not in the middle of the rope because it now meant I was halfway through the rope before I even begun descending so I clipped the knot to myself, clipped my grigri on the other strand, um, which meant as I let rope through my grigri, the rope would pass through the anchor and I would be lowered. Um, now this meant that if you're, just pretend you've only got a 30 metre rope and you're tied into the end and you're gonna lower yourself down a 20 metre route, you've only got 15 metres of rope to work with. Once you meet that end, <laughs> you're, you're sitting five metres shy of the ground. Um, now. Yeah, having not realised this, I proceeded to lower myself on a rope that was essentially only 30 metres long with no stopper knots in it, and I was on a 20 metre long route. Could you see the ground from where you were? I could see the ground, um, but when you're lowering in that situation, you're, you're not particularly looking down. You're looking to make sure your rope's running through your grigri properly. You're trying to stop yourself from spinning uncontrollably, which is what happens a lot. Because you wouldn't have been in contact with the wall, no. right? Because the wall's quite steep. Correct, because it was a steep route. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I was, so spinning's one of the, I hate spinning around on a rope and the rope just wants you to face one way. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful looking back at it that I was facing the way I was facing when I did come off the rope. But I eventually got down to, yeah, 15 metres and like static rope being zero to very minimal stretch, I think I was about four metres off the ground when the end of the rope zipped through the grigri and you just I just felt myself go weightless in an instant. And I remember, like Sam Kujas earlier saying, be careful, I locked eyes with her, like, right, because she was, I'm pretty sure she was belaying, I locked eyes with her right as the rope went through and you just, you can feel the rope. I don't know if you've ever seen a rope go through a grigri under load, but it shoots into the air, like, like slingshots into the air. And I just, I looked at her <laughs> And I went, uh-oh, <laughs> and just dropped. And like, you don't really remember too much. I remember like just hitting, there was a big boulder directly under the root and I hit that boulder right on my butt and just got ragdolled into the bush. And like, as I said before, if I was facing, if the rope wanted me to face the other way, I would have hit that boulder with my legs on the high side and like, I could have cracked my head. If, if I was tipped to one side, I could have cracked a, a, a hip. Um, but I just hit it, like the boulder was like kind of sharp and pointy like a standing triangle and I hit the, the flat side of it and just, just bounced straight off. So it's like very lucky that I landed in that 
in that way and then yeah just ragdolled into the into the bush as I came off this boulder and I remember there was a tree I tried to grab on the way past and it had four finger marks like like a wolverine claw in the base of this tree as I flew past it and um, yeah it was I remember um, hearing Sam because I'm pretty sure she was the first to witness it I remember hearing her go uh, everybody help and I I, I remember I, when I stopped I was on my back and obviously I didn't want to be on my back because that's where my butt hurt so I rolled over onto my stomach and there was already I remember there already being a, a leg there and I'm pretty sure it was JJ he was already there and I just like grabbed onto his leg and waited for some sort of like verbal confirmation from somebody like you know if you see a broken bone you're like oh crap like and nobody said anything and I was like I think I'm okay like no one's freaking out and um and I just said, how's my camera? <laughs> and Lee goes, don't worry about your camera, mate. And I was like, oh, it's broken. <laughs> half of the lens had stayed attached to the camera and the other half had snapped off. <laughs> it wasn't my lens. I borrowed it for the day. Um, so, yeah, the camera was broken. I was like, oh, damn it. And then um, I'd actually needed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> this is... I realised uh, when I started this and you began telling the story that me saying at the top of the recording that I laughed out loud when yeah. you told this story a few times, I might have sounded like a total psycho. Yeah. But there is a reason why why I laughed yeah. at this story. Yeah, there is a humorous aspect uh, at my demise. Um, but yeah, before I jugged up to take the photos, I did need to go to the bathroom. So the second question after <laughs> saying, how's my camera, was have I shit myself? <laughs> And JJ, being the good friend that he is, just he just pulled my dax up, had a look at my butt, and he's like, nah, you're good. He goes, there's blood, but you're not, it's no poo. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's good. I feel good about that. That's a good friend, right? Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, solid. He did me a solid. Um, and then, yeah, they, they wanted to pick me up and carry me back up to, to the flat bit of the path, and I was like... So you kind of fallen down, slid down yeah, the hill a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah, tumbled tumbled a few metres off track because um, the terrain's pretty steep if you get off the track the terrain's pretty steep it goes into this big gully um, and the, yeah they wanted to sort of pick me up and get me up to this flat bit and I was just like no no just give me a second like I can I'm fully comprehending everything that's going on and um, I think I'll be right if you just give me a second I said something oh <laughs> that's right Jay I forgot about this JJ said after I after he checked my dax <laughs> oh I don't even know if I should say this he goes, <laughs> I can edit it out if it's inappropriate. <laughs> he goes, okay, this is going to sound weird, but can you feel your dick? Because apparently that's like a sign of um, paralysis um, if you can't feel from there down or whatever. Um, anyway, so I was like, I was like, no, no, don't pick me up. Just give me a sec. I think I'll be right. And so I think I laid there for 10 minutes um, and then they helped me up and I kind of like hobbled up to the path and then I thought, I felt real nauseous and I thought I was going to pass out. So they, before I laid down again, they quickly put a tarp down and I laid down on that stomach first. Um, and then... Were you feeling any pain at that point? I was just feeling nauseous. I was just in shock, I think. Um, I knew there was something wrong. I wasn't in excruciating pain. I, yeah, I was just feeling weak and nauseous, really. Um, which I think happens on most decent accidents. I don't think you feel pain immediately. Your body goes into shock. Your adrenaline kicks in. It sort of hides the pain from you a little bit. Because um, you fell, you said about four metres. Yeah, I think Lee went back a couple of weeks later and um, 
calculated again how how it happened because he's a very um, statistical person. So yeah, he he pretty much rigged up exactly what happened and sussed out where it went wrong and how far it fell. And yeah, it was it was about three to four meters. Yeah, three and a half four meters. Which you know to put that in perspective is about the height of like an indoor bouldering wall. Yeah. Which to people might not sound like a long way, but when you're unintentionally falling from that height mm. and landing on oh, your lower back <laughs> or your butt, yeah. that's that's a pretty long way. Yeah, it'd be like bouldering four meters above a big boulder and falling. I guess. So they laid you out on a tarp uh, and yep. you were feeling sick? Yep, yeah, I didn't, like, hiked up, like, hobbled up onto the path, felt nauseous, didn't want to pass out standing up, laid down, they quickly chucked the tarp down, and it, when I was laying down, I felt, I felt comfortable. Um, so they stayed there for a minute and then half the crew went back. So we were, like, um, where I was laying down was at, like, one of the belays for one of the routes further up the wall. So it was, I don't know, 20 metres away from, like, the main sort of base camp of where everyone arrives to and leaves all their packs and whatnot. Um, so they they decided that they would carry me in the tarp like a stretcher from that area back to where all the bags are so they could proceed to pack everything. I was pretty late in the day anyway, it was probably time to go. Um, and they yeah, they proceeded to do that. I think there was I'm I'm a, the biggest guy at the crag. I probably weighed 80, 87, 90 kilos or something at that time. And yeah, there was six of them carrying me. because um, the terrain it's just like slippery dirt. Um, we had built steps and all that sort of stuff, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a fire trail by any means. Um, and they were carrying me down to that area, and that was only twenty meters. And I I was having to hold my chin up off the ground because I was like very close to just like dunk, dunk, dunk down the stairs. Um, and then they put me down and proceeded to start packing up my stuff and packing up their own stuff. And there was conversations of choppers and rescues and whatnot. And I was laying there. Um, face down on top of this tarp listening to all this commotion thinking about what we have to the terrain we have to go through to get to the car and it's quite steep and it's quite narrow and it can be quite slippery especially in winter uh, with the condensation and I thought to myself if these guys carry me out someone's going to drop me there is a bit of a mantle you have to do across this little boulder Um, and I said if someone drops me and they, they potentially make my injuries worse, not knowing what they are at the time, I said, that's just not going to be a good solution for anybody. And I don't want a chopper. Like, I don't feel like I need a chopper. Um, and I, I was just sitting there processing all this. And um, The way I was lying, I had my... We are on a little bit of a hill. I had my feet were facing downhill. And I just decided that, no, nah, like, I'm in shock. I'm not in pain. And I can comprehend everything. So I'm just going to walk out with assistance. And I didn't even say anything. I just, like... I just shot up, like using gravity. I just like hunched my arms, like just put my arms like a like a closed-fisted push-up, and just pushed myself up onto my feet, and just turned around and started walking. And JJ's JJ turns around and goes, "Where the fuck are you going?" And I was like, "I can't feel anything. Let's just go." <laughs> like I don't want to talk about it. Let's just go. And Duncan, I remember Duncan saying, "If he wants to walk out, let's go." And they just they just wrapped up everything, packed it all up. People were carrying extra bags. People were clearing trip hazards from in front of me. I had Duncan under one arm, Lee under the other arm. Um, Nick and Rito. Did I say Rito a bit earlier? I don't remember, but no, that's all right. I don't remember. Rito's He's going to listen to this yeah. and not be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a very important part of this. He's the one that drove me to the hospital. Uh, yeah, Nick and Rito ran ahead and um, got Rito's car from the car park and decided they would try and 
find one of the farmer's gates and see if they were unlocked and try and drive up the property to the entrance of the fire trail, which would cut out probably half of the half of the walk. Because you do sort of walk along a, a four-wheel drive track for a period of time, or yeah. do you kind of cross over it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you, you walk along it, but not for very long. But the, the rest of it, from the um, fire trail to the car, when you're walking out, is all farmer's property that can be driven onto the four-wheel drive, so... Luckily, they found an open gate and they, they managed to drive the car to that exit point. Um, and I, yeah, I proceeded to walk down with the help. Yeah, definitely couldn't have done it on my own. I had a big stick, a big, like, walking stick. And, uh, yeah, Duncan and Lee looking very worried. <laughs> There's a couple of photos someone took with an iPhone or whatever. But yeah, um, we managed to get to the exit where you come sort of out of the forest and onto the fire trail. And... Um, I think Rito had messaged Lee or got a, got a message to him somehow and said, yeah, we've, we're on our way up to there. And I was pretty much done with walking. Like my, I was like, yeah, I, I can't walk anymore. And they were like, no, nah, that's, you've done, that's all, that's all you need to do. Just lay down and the car will be here. How long was that walk? Oh man, it felt like forever. Um, I don't know. It would probably take you on the way out. It would probably take you 15, 20 minutes to get to there. It probably took us an hour. At a guess, I really don't remember. I Still remember pretty just... good progress considering <laughs> you had broken bones. Yeah, 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 fractured, it turned out to be fractured. Um, but yeah, like I said, adrenaline just sort of kicks in and like I, I didn't want to make that exit from the crag any harder than it needed to be. Like people were probably like thinking about it now, it's probably stupid to walk out considering I could have displaced something further or whatnot. But I don't know, like, I just felt my body and I just felt that I, I probably could do it. I didn't not knowing the extent of the injuries at the time, but I don't know, a decision I made. <laughs> so you got in the car and hightailed it to the hospital? Pretty much. Um, now, Urbanville has quite a fair way from any hospital and being just over the border as well. Um, we actually discussed... So, I, yeah, we got in the car. Rito set up the front passenger seat nice and reclined and he had a pillow because we camped that weekend. Um, so, And once I got in the car, I was very comfortable, like... I could sit in that car for the next two hours if I had to. It didn't matter. I was, I was really comfy. I think the weight must have been off my sacrum. Um, and we drove out of the farmer's uh, property back to the road near the Urbanville pub and um, pulled over and just regathered. Um, and JJ had come up with the story for me uh, in case there was any insurance requirements <laughs> for the medical bills. And, um, yeah, the story was I was just walking on an edge, walking on a ledge, taking a photo, and a, a rocket slipped out behind my foot. There was no ropes. There was none of this other high-risk situations. It was just a simple mis like, mishap that led to the accident just in case when I got to the hospital, that was the story. <laughs> so we agreed on that. He'd actually written that they'd given me some Panadol as well um, when the accident first happened, and then when I got to the car as well to help with any pain that may have arisen um, and JJ had recorded all that like time uh, how many panadol given blah 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 that's really smart yeah yeah like these guys they know what they're doing they've, they've been in these situations before because accidents are an inherent part of rock climbing because rock climbing is an inherently dangerous sport and especially when you're developing a new crag yeah that's right there's a lot of additional unforeseen dangers um, that must be sort of worked with and acknowledged um, yeah, and these guys, like Lee and JJ, like and Duncan and Ross and Glenn, all these guys that you see or you hear about, they pretty much single-handedly developed half of southeast Queensland. Um, so yeah, whatever you've seen 
they've seen and they've done. Yeah, if those names sound familiar, you've probably read about them quite a few times in yeah. the guidebook. Any guidebook, bolted by. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we decided to go to the hospital because it was the sensible thing to do and make sure there were no serious internal injuries. Um, had you started feeling any pain at that point? No, I was pretty good. I don't know if that was because JJ had already given me like four or five Panadol. Um, but when I was in the like Rito's car, I was I was pretty comfy, and we did go through the Hunger Games drive-through on the way. <laughs> I knew when I get to hospital, they wouldn't let me eat. So, and I go, we're going through Bow Desert. I was like, dude, can we get some food? Like, I need I need somebody to eat for hospital. And he goes, oh my god, I'm so happy you just asked. <laughs> so we pulled through, got some chips and a and a coke each, and then proceeded to hospital. <laughs> I mean, there's probably people thinking, uh, you know, that's that's low priority, but it's not, right? If you're in yeah. shock, you need to eat and eat. drink and have some. Yeah, sugar and I wanted and yeah I wanted the sugar and the coke as well. Yeah, and he like who knows how long we were going to be sitting in hospital for. Um, so yeah, we got to Ravina Hospital. I rang my girlfriend and my parents on the way there and said, "Look, don't freak out. Going to go to the hospital and get checked up. Had an accident. Of course, they freak out." <laughs> but uh, yeah, we get to Ravina Hospital. Um, I think my missus was already there, but anyway, they come out and put me in a wheelchair of all things for a broken ass. Sit down. <laughs> Seems stupid in the end, but I don't know. I'm no doctor. Um, and anyway, it was like Rito could be relieved of his duty then. He got me here and he could now go home and carry on his life and the doctors can do the rest from here. Um, and yeah, they sort of wheeled me in and they were like, okay, we'll get you out of the chair and into the hospital bed. And um, I was still a little bit nervous about the whole crapping my dax scenario. So when the doctor goes, um, just take your pants off and, and lay in this, in this bed, um, I, I jumped into the bed. I, I stood up took my pants off and he goes oh there's some big marks on your undies and I was like oh is it because I crap myself <laughs> and he goes he goes no 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 I've seen I've seen people shit their pants before and you haven't done that he goes I think it's just blood and just scratches and whatever and which I was is, like, is a relief right as I said to you on the phone that's confirmation from yeah, a medical professional yeah, that's right verbal official confirmation from a doctor that I have not officially shit my pants <laughs> so I'm feeling a lot better now I'm like okay okay sweet I can deal with this there's no crap so, so I lay down on the bed and they, they wheel me into the, into the room. They find me a space or whatever, I don't know. Um, and then the doctor says, the doctor will come and see you shortly, just chill out. Are you in pain? I was like, oh, look, a little bit of pain starting to settle in now. So they, I think they gave me some morphine or they gave me a, a, a pill first or whatever. Panadine 4 at first it was. Um, and then, yeah, so the doctor comes in to see me and he like, asked me what happened. I told him the story. I was walking along the ledge and the rock broke and I fell. <laughs> And, um, and then he sent a nurse back and he said, okay, we need to, he said, where the sacrum is, um, all your central nervous system passes through the sacrum. There's, there's four or five holes down each side of the sacrum, which is a triangular plate that connects your spine to your hips and it sits just above your tailbone. Um, they took me into the x-ray room and I remember they had to do the, the um, slide me onto the x-ray bed. And I was like, I'll just move myself. And they were like, no, no, no. Like, they were like full spinal injury mode. Like, they wouldn't let me move by myself. Uh, I think I was in a neck brace. Um, yeah. And even though it was more uncomfortable for them to slide me to the x-ray bed, they still wouldn't let me do it myself. Um, yeah, so I winced with a bit of pain when they did that. Anyway, I did the x-rays. They rolled me on the side, x-rayed all around the sacrum. Um, and then that's when the nurse came in um, and said, look, you fractured between S4 and S5, so the holes are S1, S2, S3, S4, S5. 
Um, she said you've cracked between S4 and S5, which is like two sections of holes, and it's a displaced fracture. So the sacrum's broken and gone back into place, thankfully. Um, and she said, look, there's nothing we can do except that that bone will fuse itself back together. Um, and she said, but because those holes are what splits your central nervous system into your right leg and your left leg, she said, we want to make sure there's no nerves getting pinched in the fracture. Um, she said, we need to check your rectal function. And so you, you're like, you hear those words, and you're immediately like, oh, please no. And so, so I was laying stomach down, and, and I was like you, don't, like, you don't have to put your finger in my butt, do you? And she's like, no, no, not in, just on. And you just have to, just have to tense your butt. And I was like, oh, okay, that's not so bad. So I'm like, I'm laying there. She's like putting gloves on. I'm like, I'm doing it now. And she's like, no, I have to test it. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Anyway, so she's like, I, like, I'm in just a hospital gown, no undies on my stomach. And she's like, oh, man, there's a lot of blood here. Um, and I think it was like um, abrasion, like a lot of blood blisters and stuff. Um, and there was a lot of bruising and um yeah she put she put a thing i did the the um the clench test the clench test yeah let's call it that and uh, she goes okay great um i'll get a nurse to take you to the toilet <laughs> i was like what for <laughs> i've already had two confirmations now <laughs> that i have not pooped my pants and she goes oh don't you know that you've shit yourself <laughs> like and I was seriously angry. I was like, I've asked so many people. Surrounded by liars. Yeah. And now, and then, and she just started freaking out. She's like, oh my God, he doesn't know he's, he's evacuated his bowels. He must have a nervous damage. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I thought that happened. And I asked people and they all told me no. And so she put me into full lockdown. They rang a doctor to operate the MRI machine at Southport Uni Hospital. Got him out of bed, because this was like 10 o'clock at night by this time. Got him out of bed, sent him into the hospital to turn the MRI machine on. They had an ambulance come and pick me up, and then they transferred me to Southport Hospital um, and to do this emergency MRI, <laughs> just because they, <laughs> I think, I don't know, shit myself. So it was, it was very, uh, very frustrating. <laughs> so the real takeaway from this story is if your mate has an accident and yeah. poos their pants, you need to tell them. Yeah, do a full on, full frontal check. <laughs> <laughs> Even if yeah. you think you're being merciful by yeah. not telling them, yeah. make Just sure you're honest know. about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's not a big ordeal for the doctors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously that wasn't the case. No spinal injuries. That's right. Yeah. Just, just the fractured sacrum, which could have been worse um, if it had a, like, if it had a displaced and like overlapped or something like that, it could have, it could have been really bad, but it was the best of a very bad situation. Um, they had, they wanted me to, to do a certain amount of like, we before I left as well. So they made, they were like made, making me wee into this like like those tub things, but they wouldn't let me sit up. So as well as the whole toilet situation, they wouldn't let me sit up to wee. And I don't know if you've ever weed laying horizontally, but it's really bloody hard. And they were like, well, if you don't get out like I don't know twenty mils of wee or whatever, he goes, we're gonna put a catheter in. I'm like, well, let me sit up. And he's like, no. I'm like, all right, we'll get out of the room. I'll, I'll do the wee. And I just sat up, just with the bed. Did them away. I was like, "Come back in, here you go." No catheter, thanks. See you later. And then they put me in the in the ambulance and drove me off to the Southport Uni Hospital. And then, yeah, the nurses come in to like discharge me. After a little while, my girlfriend turned up, and um, I had this big like this big hole in my knee where I'd hit a tree branch and not known about it because the, obviously the main point of the issue was my ass. And um, 
the nurse goes, oh, what's this on your knee? Like, right as I'm about to leave hospital, I was like, oh, oh, crap, I must have, like, I must have hit a tree or something. And it was, like, really deep cash. And they're like, oh, I wish you'd told us about that. That needs a tetanus and stitches. And they're like, but it's too late now. I was like, oh, okay. And they just put some glue in it and just closed it. I was like, all right, thanks for that. And then, yeah, checked out of hospital and pretty much went home and sat on a donut for the next six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so about six weeks it took to recover. Yeah. And how long after the accident were you back climbing? I think I was recording a video of myself at SpotX six weeks later. Wow. Yeah, I think I was walking out and I was filming myself with my iPhone and I was like, well, six weeks later, I had to come back to the scene of the crime and like just sort of get back on that horse a little bit. Because you do, like, even when you're not, if you don't climb for a few weeks, you got to, you still like go, you take a step back in that mental barrier. Sure. So having six weeks off any of that activity after an accident, like you got to get back on that horse. Otherwise that mental barrier will get bigger and bigger. And what was that like, um, you know, getting back on the rock again, especially at the exact place where you had the accident? Yeah, it was good to, it was good definitely to go back to Evanville. I don't feel like, I don't feel like there was anything about the place. It was more about just sort of getting back on the rope. Um, yeah, because it was Urbanville or KP or wherever, it didn't, didn't really matter. That accident could have happened anywhere. Um, but yeah, no, it was good. I definitely, I definitely did become more fearful. I was a pretty safe person prior to this. Like, um, my mates were all like, oh, out of everybody that we climbed with that that happened to you, we're surprised it was you that it happened to because, I'm, yeah, I was known for being safe. Which just goes to show that that sort of thing can happen. I mean, you yep. just have to be super vigilant all of the time, right? Yeah. I mean, even the safest person can yep. have a bad day, have a mishap. That's right. Everybody should have their safety procedures that they do and don't sway on them, pretty much. Um, yeah, some people do tie knots, some people don't tie knots, but some people don't tie knots because they do other visual checks before descending ropes and whatever so whatever your safety procedures are or your minimum safety standards are for yourself just just don't don't like don't waver those pretty much um one thing i do want to say uh back to the insurance thing you obviously <laughs> had this kind of backup story yeah. in case there are any issues with your insurance um but i do just want to clarify if it's a more serious injury than that sometimes you know, regardless of what the insurance costs are, that's it's right. better to tell the truth All so the they get the full story. Yeah, that's right. And we weren't going to be missing any information, which was kind of the reason why we had decided to say that. Um, yeah, there was no other information that would have impacted uh, a rescue or a recovery or treatment method. It was the same injury regardless of how it happened. Um, but yeah, that is a good point. And what did you learn from this whole experience when you've been climbing and ascending, descending ropes since then? Yeah. Has this, has anything played on your mind? Um, now I always feel unsafe ascending a rope that I haven't put up until I get to the anchor and I'll get to the anchor and I'll assess the way the rope is attached before doing anything else. So if like, cause some, sometimes I might be shooting somebody climbing a 30 or a 31 or a 25, something I can't climb. So I have to send them up a rope once they get to the anchors to attach for me. So I'll tie the knot, they'll drop a line, clip the rope to it, pull it up and clip to the anchors for me. And then I'll just 
Jumar straight to the anchor and just make sure that what they've done is acceptable by me. And if it's not, I'll go in hard, fix it, and make sure that's all good. But yeah, I always feel unsafe until I get to that point now. Um, whereas I used to be maybe a little bit blase about it or you used to maybe just pass that trust on to that person. Um, there's still, yeah, there's still a little bit of fear. I guess that's probably natural anyway. Um, probably no fearful now than what I used to be anyway. Um, the, the worst thing about that situation was it was an abnormal situation, an abnormal sequence of events. Um, and that's probably taught me that no matter how abnormal, you can still do things properly. Like I could have just spent 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes up there undoing that knot just so that I was fully over, like aware of the situation I was in and not just blase thinking about, I can just do this because your legs are tired or whatever. Like it doesn't matter if you spend an hour up there or if you just abseil down and leave the rope up. Doesn't matter. Like you, you don't have to be in a rush is probably the biggest takeaway because that's, that's when accidents happen. The one thing I haven't asked until this point is, were you wearing a helmet? Was I wearing a helmet? Um, I can't remember. It was new crag rules. So, although, like, the general rule of thumb is climbers should wear helmets because they don't impede on your ability to climb and they, they do impede on your safety. I know a lot of us don't wear helmets all the time when we're climbing, um, myself included. And when you're photographing too, do you have kind of a different, or did you have kind of a different mindset? Um, yeah, look, that's a hard one. Um, I don't really know how to answer that. I, I wear helmets where I think I need to wear them. And that is dependent on crag, people, positions, situations. So I always wear a helmet multi-pitching. I always wear a helmet trad climbing. I always wear a helmet at a new crag um, because there's just loose rock and you never know. Um, but generally in s steeper environments, I tend to not wear them because you're less likely to hit the wall. Um, so you may or may not have been I may or may not have. Like, it was new crag. So new crag etiquette from the old guard, like Lee and that was, you must wear a helmet. Um, but that particular day, I cannot remember. I want to say I wasn't. Yeah. But if I wasn't, I shouldn't. <laughs> it, regardless of, like, I didn't yeah. hurt my head or anything. But in that situation, at that new crag... If I wasn't wearing a helmet, I should have, because we all were during that development. I'm yeah. sure you know, as well as most people, that rappelling, even though it's sort of secondary to climbing, generally causes more mm. incidents, accidents, mm. fatalities yeah. than actually going up. So mm. what's your advice to people who, you know, whether it's through adventure climbing or multi-pitching or even just wanting to refine those skills... What's your advice to people who are doing some rappelling? Yeah, look, we've, we've seen a pretty big influx of new climbers into the community um, with the thriving industry of bouldering, especially here on the Gold Coast. Like We've got two new bouldering gyms. It's the first time 
we've got a, a fully fledged facility here on the Gold Coast. So there are a lot of people coming into the sport and naturally people are going to get interested in what's outdoors to climb. Um, so the biggest thing is like, you just need to mentor up really. That's, that's what we did. Um, we were lucky to have that opportunity to be mentored by those kind of guys who, who they seriously have done everything in the books. Um, and that's where you're going to learn the skills necessary to be safe in the outdoors. Um, and if you can't find a mentor, if you can't find a Lee Kujes, just speak to people at the gym. Like we, they've all got each gym's got their own private Facebook group that you can join. And and if you want to go outdoors and climb for the first time, you can simply just put a post in there and say, "Hey, look, I want to go outdoors. It looks awesome, um, but we don't know what we're doing. We don't have the gear. We don't have the know-how." Is there anybody here willing to do it? I've taken many, many people outdoor for the first time in their lives. Um, I quite enjoy it. It, 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 makes, it takes a break from your usual day of climbing out where you might be projecting a route or whatever and you can have a bit more fun. It's a bit more relaxed and informative and you can pass on those skills that you might have learned from somebody or from your own personal training if you've done your own vertical rescue courses or anything like that. And you can pass on that level of information down to the next generation of climbers to keep them safe because the last thing any of us want is for somebody to get injured anywhere rock climbing like whether it's in the states in the uk in here whatever it has a negative connotation in everybody else's eyes especially land managers and that is the biggest like restriction to access for rock climbing is inherent risk and liability and landowners don't want liability for injuries and if injuries are happening a lot we can expect to see a lot more crags getting shut down. I think you made a really good point too about experienced climbers being mostly happy to take people out yeah. because you kind of see the sport through fresh eyes. Uh, you know, it kind of brings a bit of magic back yeah. if you've been climbing a lot um, for a long time. Um, yeah, it's don't be afraid to ask people for advice or for the chance to go outside with them. Um, you know, some people might say no, but I think for the most part, people want to pass this knowledge on. That's right. We all want each other to be safe. The climbing community is a great community to be a part of, and I think that the best part of that is the way we all support and encourage each other. You, you will find somebody who's willing to pass that information on because it's benefit, it benefits all of us. Have you changed any of your practices since the accident? Um, since the accident? Ooh, good question. Uh, I don't think um, any changes I may have made would be due to the accident. Um, I'm obviously a little bit more observant of uh, tying stopper knots in the end of ropes these days. Not like I didn't, like not that I wasn't observant, but now it's like a kind of uh, running joke <laughs> with anybody who knows me. We like, if we're on a multi or whatever, and we, just, we start wrapping off, it's like, now Nathan, have you tied a stopper knot? Oh, shut up, Jack. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a bit, bit of a running joke, but now at least that, that conversation happens every time we go to rappel now, um, which is only a good thing. Um, but yeah, no, there's no, no, no real changes, no safety measures I've incorporated due to the accident. I've only, the only measures I may have changed would be due to upskilling or learning something like a more efficient way of doing something or a safer way of doing something. That, that would be about it. Probably one of the things that worked in your favour the most was not only having a large crew of people with mm. you who could help you out, but also a crew of people who were incredibly experienced and yeah. pretty confident in the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm pretty thankful that the people, that those people were the people that I was with. 
Um, I obviously don't know what the outcome would have been had it been like just me and my mates and we literally had no idea what we were doing. Yeah, having a level head and knowing that accidents are possible and yeah, having that, that thought process or that experience that should something happen in a far away place, then you've got enough knowledge to get out of there safely. And obviously, worst case scenario, chopper. Like we do have access to that resource in this day and age. So if you are in a position that is of dire consequences, you can do that. And But a part of being able to access that resource is having a beacon or something like that to call on them because you don't always have reception. Yeah, do you crag. have reception at that crag? I think we did. I think Telstra was was pretty good out there. Um, but pro yeah. tip. Yeah, pro tip. Telstra, Telstra for Abendville. <laughs> Nathan McNeil, thank you so much for sharing your story. No worries. Thanks for chatting. Always fun to talk about butt injuries. <laughs> <laughs> and pooping your pants. pooping your dads. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bail List. They won't all contain poo humour, but if you like it, let me know. Go follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Bail List and get in touch. If you've got a climbing fail, bail or epic that you'd like to share, I'd love to hear from you. I want to give a shout out to Wild Earth, our exclusive outdoor gear provider. And thanks as well to our friends at Cool Climbing on the Gold Coast, where we recorded this episode. The Bay List pays respect to the Githable, the traditional owners of the land where this story took place. We acknowledge the Githable people as the original storytellers of this land. And now, here's a snippet from next month's episode. It's just too dangerous. It's, it's not it's easy just... to look into the fear of... Like, you know, you, you're virtually kind of looking at death in the eyes and saying, yeah, I'm going to accept the risk. To, I'm willing to roll the dice on this one. So what made you go back? I just really wanted to do it and get it done. I just, I knew, I knew we could do it. And the desire to succeed was so big inside me that I just couldn't let it go.